Welcome to the Lateral Dialogues, a podcast series by the Lateral Space. Podcast episodes that will bring you different perspectives on team and leadership dynamics. The Lateral Dialogues will inspire those leading, being part of, or coaching and consulting to today's organizations. Welcome to the Lateral Dialogues, the podcast series by the Lateral Space that aspires to bring to you different perspectives on organizational and leadership dynamics. My name is Warren Hofman, co-founder of the Lateral Space, a small consultancy that focuses on organizational and team effectiveness. I'm here together with Petros Aratis, the other founder of the Lateral Space. Thank you, Warden, and welcome from me as well. On this episode of the Lateral Dialogues, uh, we have chosen to focus on organizational culture change and specifically of what happens when we illuminate hidden aspects of the organizational culture. And to explore this topic further, we have with us Dr. Karen Gray, who is consultant psychologist, specialist in organizational culture and director of T-Space, an organizational coaching practice. Welcome, Karen. Good to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Excited about talking around organizational culture. Yes. Karen, I got to know you and this work uh, when you were conducting your doctoral research. And I was very impressed by this work for a number of reasons. Of course, organizational culture is a topic that is very often talked about. But what I found very interesting in your work is the choice of illuminating the hidden aspects of organizational culture, maybe ways around doing so. And then from a more research point of view, also I was very inspired by the methodology and the rigor that you build within that. Karen, maybe we can start our conversation, our dialogue by framing a little bit the topic and giving a few sort of ideas of what we mean by organizational culture and what we mean by the hidden aspects of an organizational culture. Why do they matter? Maybe a best way to start with that is if you could say a little bit about what triggered you to basically choose this topic as research and also as organizational practice in your consultancy, in your coaching. Yeah, well, I think in the roughly 15 years that I've been doing organizational development practice, I've always been very intrigued by the culture of the organization with which I'm working. So we may be working on a leadership development piece, or we might be looking at team effectiveness or some remit that we're working on. And I always feel buffeted around somehow by the things that are going on in the organization and never quite fully understanding why I'm getting those reactions and feelings, but they're definitely presence. And of course, they have an impact on the task that I'm there to do. And they sort of push me around a bit and I have to push against them. And I've always then sort of built up a little bit of a, an interest in just trying to see what they were or how, how you could describe them. And I did think it was cultural because the common definition of culture is the way we do things around here. That's what people would normally say if you said to them, what's culture? The way we do things around here. And that's kind of what it felt like. The way everybody is doing things around here is impacting on how we're working. So that's why I then chose that topic for my uh, doctoral research. And obviously at that point, because we were, as you know, Petrus, very focused on getting at more of the unconscious stuff by doing our doctorates at the Tavistock, 
it was then a case of me having to confirm why I thought it was possible even to get to the unconscious aspects of culture. So I had to do a lot of um, sort of fighting to say that that would be feasible because uh, you can't really walk in and say to an organization, what's your culture and that they tell you the things that they don't know. That's never going to work. So I had to be quite um, thinking around corners to try and work out a way to make it happen. But I did. And I'm really glad I did because we found out some very interesting material. Yes, obviously you did. And you're the result of your research validates that. <laughs> but I, it is important to be stated that when, when we say we are working with something less tangible, we have to properly frame it. And I think that accounts not just for scientific or academic research, but that also accounts for organizational consultancy, but also for business. Maybe what I want to pick up from what you're saying is when we speak about culture and the way we do things around here, it's also something that is broader than what's my individual leadership or my character, because to some extent, I might be operating in this organization differently than in another organization. Somehow there is something prevailing here, implicit, we don't necessarily think about it, but that's the way of doing things. Why is it important to work on culture? You're saying that regardless of what your work is, whether that's in the team space or in other forums, it could be on leadership development on other type of consultancy. Somehow the topic of culture comes up. Why does it come up? Yeah, because as you just alluded to there, it's a property of the organization. And then when we enter the organization to work there or do some consulting practice there, it has an effect on us and it drives us to do certain things, which we may not normally do, but it's having an impact. And if you like, one way to think of culture is the personality of the organization. So how the organization effectively expresses itself, how it has an impact on other people, on the people within it. So how it it engages with the other humanness that sort of creates it. So that's what we're really trying to get at. And the other thing that intrigued me about culture was that it was such a difficult concept to get hold of, to really try and bundle up and describe and to talk about in a coherent fashion. It also was a complete bugbear of mine that the way culture was usually identified was to provide a survey and let everybody tick boxes and fill in scales and see what uh, the culture looked like on a spider diagram or something like that. And so you're restricted to the number of axes that you use and it's all a consistent form of scales. The company just will most likely not fit in that because the culture has developed itself because of how the company's developed. You're both founders of a small company. Every company started small. The way that it starts to grow itself and the effect that the founders and the original leaders have on us starts to become the way that it it is and the way that it's literally being So the being that is the company starts to be that way. And that's what really describes its personality at the end of the day. So how it expresses itself, how it feels, how the people feel within it as a result of that impact. So it's really complex item. And the way that my research drove forward was to try to explain that and get a handle on it in an organization, including the bits that are a little bit less obvious. Is that also what you mean with the hidden aspects of the organizational culture? 
Yeah, the, the bits that are less obvious, well, actually probably not obvious at all until you feel them. So obvious sort of describes that you might see something or you might hear something in the organization. But actually, the less, the more hidden bits, you're probably more likely to feel them first, feel a reaction that is, well, for me in organizations, it felt like a push or a drive or something that was kind of making me behave in a certain way that wasn't usually what I would do, but it was present. So the feel comes at you quite quickly. And then that's when you're probably touching something that's a bit more hidden. So an example would be if you start to be feeling a bit anxious about something that you wouldn't necessarily normally feel anxious about. It's a bit excessive how sensitive or kind of feeling a little bit nervous about something. You'd be then starting to think, well, what might be causing that? And might this be part of how the organization is feeling that I'm hosting some of that feeling on their behalf? Because for some reason I can pick it up. And so can probably a lot of other people in the organization who hold it on their behalf too. But something is causing them to, to make that happen. So I worked with an organization not too long ago where its history had been um, failing a number of times and being bought over. So each time it failed, it got resurrected and then it would fail and it would get resurrected again. So inside it, there was a massive fear of failing and we're not good enough. Quite often, I was picking up this feeling of not good enough a lot in the organization and doubting myself. And then I'd second guess things and then it would take me too long to come to the next conclusion. So I was then starting to realize that that's actually part of what the organization is dealing with. You have unpacked quite important aspects here, Karen, which I want I want us to maybe think a little bit through because on one hand, you are saying there are, there are approaches that are very tangible. So the spider diagram that you mentioned, I can also see that there is a way of comparing cultures amongst that based on very specific attributes or definitions, which could be very helpful for certain ways. You paint a picture of something very structural, tangible and manageable. And on the other hand, something that is highly intuitively and it gets manifest, triggered and explored by the feeling, how I felt in the moment, which also opens up the conversation. What if this is you or what if this is the meeting that I was part of or what allows us to come together on these topics in a manageable fashion that is either complementing or even replacing this structure that other approaches have. Yeah, and that that's actually one of the things which I was able to create through my research, a process for getting to a kind of tangible basis of cultural themes. And the way of doing that is to consider culture as ways of being. That is the the kind of hub of the wheel here. So if if we take that core definition of organizational culture as the ways that the organization is being, the way that I'm being when I'm in it, the way that the employees are being, the leaders are being, how I think they're being, that whole being is making up the organization. So if you can collect information on how are they being, how are you being, you can start to thematically analyze that data from focus groups, from interviews, from observation. You can put together all of your understanding of how people are being, how you're being, how they're being. You can get people to reflect at the end of a senior leadership team meeting and say, how were we being and what was going on? And within that process, then those themes are going to come through quite strongly. So 
you know, for example, there might be a theme that's coming through, which just says, how are we being? Well, we're actually being quite unclear and we're feeling quite unsure. We're not really certain. We're nearly the opposite to certain. We're like, "Mm, not sure. And this is starting to kind of mean that we're feeling a bit ambiguous, a bit unknowing, a little bit opaque or whatever. And those words can start to come up such that you're beginning to see a theme of unclearness or being unclear within the organization. Then you can start to say, yeah, I recognize that. Well, you will because you've said the words. Then you can ask, well, why might that be? This is an entry point, I understand, right? Because again, a state of being unclear could could not necessarily be organizational culture in a sense. It could be the contextual being of people. Eh? But but I am also I'm very curious to understand then where would you typically land if you have an example on what would be descriptors of a culture that are the sort of end of that exploration that describes that culture. Do do you have an example of where could that uh, state of being lead us in uh, a descriptor of what the culture is about? Well, I I think it's not really possible to package up a whole massive organizational corporate culture into uh, a phrase of this is uh, anxious, ambivalent culture or whatever you say it is or you collectively agree, it's expressed like the spider diagram on a load of axes that just say, these are the important themes or elements in our culture, and we have to identify all of them or most of them in order to fully describe the company. So in my experience, there's usually about 10, 12 very strong cultural themes that are coming through. And I would say maybe the company are fairly conscious about six or seven of those. And maybe the remainder they may not be so conscious about, or at least they wouldn't be able to tell you them first off. You would pick up that they know them because of the language that they're using and the being words that they'll drop into what they're talking through. And then you can pick it up and they go, yeah, that we're like that. Then you can start to say, okay, well, what does that feel like? And what is that really? Because then you're looking at the actual thing that was hidden. So if it is unclearness or it might be a feeling of sort of defeatedness. I've had a company recently who's had that as a bit of a theme. They feel a bit sort of beaten or defeated, not really feeling confident, just under a dog type thing. Then you can start to say, why might that be? Why might you be being that way? And quite often you'll get back to the origins of the organization and where it originally was. And you can then start to understand why it's happened. So you started the conversation with the cultural uh, definition, the the way we do things around here. Is it safe that we now kind of reform it or kind of maybe find a different layer in we say, okay, the way we are being around here? It is because um, all you're doing is doing is the being informs eventually what you do. So the doing is just a higher layer. I'm saying, how how do we do things around here? So I notice that you do, 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 and we notice that you do whatever. But then you got to look at, well, why is that? Well, we, how are we being? We're being a bit afraid of feeling or we're being a little bit ambiguous because it keeps us safe from knowing where we're actually going. You know, there's something that's underneath why we are doing things that way because we're being a certain way. So it's just a lower level. And I was very intrigued on how you described uh, also measuring that being. And I also use yourself, basically, in that, in that measuring. Definitely. 
And a lot of examples come to mind where I entered an organization and I felt a certain way and uh, how that feeling is actually data. That's, that's, that's basically what you say. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that is really noticeable and you can really notice it when you first go into an organization. So anybody who's newly joining a company as a new employee will get this feeling quite early. So for example, I'm just doing some work at the moment in a small company which does software. It creates software for particular kind of, I think it's insurance sector, but working with, it's it's in a rapid growth phase. Um, and I specifically was asking the people who'd recently joined in the last three to six months what they were picking up about how the organization was being. How are you being? And how do you find yourself being now you're in the organization? And how do you feel everybody's being around you? And one of the overwhelming themes that came out of that is we're just very confused about why nobody gives any feedback. Why, why are they being so reluctant to give feedback? You know, you, you say you come in and you're not sure because you're just starting a new job and you're trying to find a way forward with something which hasn't been handled yet. But you go, OK, well, I think I'll do this. What do you think? Silence. Nothing coming back. No feedback. And it was such a loud theme across the new joiners. Yet whenever you put it to the organization more broadly, they go, did we not? Oh. And it was like they knew, but they'd forgotten. <laughs> Because we don't do this here. We don't, but sure, it's not something we do. And then when you ask them, why, why might that be that you're not giving feedback or you may be a bit reluctant to give feedback? And there's two sources. The first was a leader source. So they said, well, the original leader wouldn't receive feedback very well. So nobody gave it to them. And then obviously the leaders began to never give feedback. And so it sort of trickled down. So that's probably why. And then the other one was related to task. So if you complete software and you send your software draft to your client organization, the client always gives feedback. You never give feedback on that process. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then we'll change that. <laughs> and so why should you give any feedback? Your client is the one who gives feedback. But yet, in order to get the organization to grow and people to develop, you have to be able to give feedback. And so that's a major blockage in the organization if they can't do that. So that's a cultural theme. Yeah, it, it makes me think uh, what you said earlier on. Uh, some of the traits of the organizational culture, uh, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, were built because it has a specific task or it has certain types of interactions or it's part of an industry or the founders, when it was still small, were very deliberate about that and that gets reflected. Um, but after also a certain part, they get their life of their own, those trades. They are uncontrollable to some extent or also they, they face you with some consequences. So they have very good reasons to exist, but they also have some consequences. Huge, yeah. I know Varden is very also interested in this idea about a stated culture and, and the real culture. And you mentioned that as well. I don't know, Varden, when you, if you want to unpack that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm more intrigued now when, when we talked about the being, because a lot of companies that we visit, a lot of companies where we are, every company we are is busy with creating or crafting their culture very consciously changing it and almost always there's like this description of like the perfect world how we should behave if the culture was perfect so not how we do things around here but how how we should do things around here and then basically that's that's how they 
try to change the culture into something that is described as a future state. Now, if we have the extra layer of how we're being around here, I can imagine that that also impacts maybe your idea of how to change a culture, how to develop a culture moving forward. It's really important to get below the surface to understand all of those unique ways that the organization is being, because there's generally very good reasons for them being that way. So once you can identify what is beneath the surface of those cultural being themes, some of which are less obvious or conscious than the others, you can then start to be more aware as a leadership team and start to say, well, what would we like to change that would help our task move forward in a better way or support our strategy or whatever it is that we need to do in the future? What would we like to tweak? And I think I think the tweaking or the slightly altering is a more appropriate way of looking at culture change rather than creating a a desired future state, which, you know, is more like, how would we like to be? Well, we'd all love to be amazing. (laughs) But at the end of the day, we are who we are and we can tweak the way that we behave with other people to a certain degree, but we can't do wholesale personality shift. And the same is true of a company. And it just takes quite a long time to even do the tweaks. So if you can identify some of those sort of lower level items, you know, if you take, for example, the kind of beaten and defeated piece that we were unearthing in one of the organizations, they weren't happy to hear the words associated with that, like victimized, resigned, abused, dominated, subservient, all of those things demotivated and blaming and moaning and stuff going on. You could pick up all those being words and you could, then they were going, well, we don't really like that. That's not very good, is it? That doesn't feel great. So what would you like to do? What what would be your sense of a potential tweak in that area? What if we stand up a bit more? What if we become feeling a bit more confident and we support ourselves to be stronger and feel more upright? And instead of this being put down or giving the opportunity to be feeling put down, we need to stand up more and we need to project a bit more confidence generally. Okay, so how might you do that? What sort of things would you be doing? and How would you be being if you were being a bit more strong and confident? So it leads you into that conversation. And so as leaders of the organization, what might you do next week that might help you be a bit more like that? But if I may, how is that different to what Varn just explained, this idea of stating the state that we are in now and stating a future desired state? Yeah, because no organization would say that they want to be confident, that they want to be strong. That's like admitting you weren't. (laughs) So it wouldn't be in your future state, probably. It would be one of those things you'd rather keep hidden and go, no, we are honestly amazing. We're not feeling defeated or beaten or anything. We are brilliant. We're amazing, which actually the organization was saying it was as well. But it was all a front and it needed to be a front because of the market that they were in. But underneath, there was this feeling. That's why it wouldn't be in your future state. If I hear this, then then there should be kind of also a large role for acceptance in, in this approach. I can imagine quite difficult also for people to accept, indeed, we were maybe not strong or we were maybe a bit victimized. I mean, that's quite a step to take. It is. And it's really difficult. It's really difficult for a leadership group who effectively are the parents of the organization to take this on board, even though they said it. So 
when you play them back, their verbatim comments that had all of these defeated or beaten words in them, they go, oh my God, did we, what? Is that what? So they can't quite take it in. And their words were, this is hard to swallow. So it is. And why this is very important, I think also hearing you say this, is, is that I realize that in almost all culture shifts that I've been part of or, or that I've seen in organizations, everyone I talk to always has the feeling that they are already part of the future culture. I, I seldomly hear people, if you say, okay, this is our desired culture, people say, oh, no, that, that's, that's not what I am. So that's where I had to grow to. And is that also one of the keys that you are able to acknowledge that you're part of the old and then have the possibility to grow into something new, but to acknowledge that first. It is about awareness and acknowledgement. And I suppose that's one of the most difficult elements of psychotherapy is to be able to see those realities about how you are. And of course, this process is a little bit based on therapeutic process for organizations. So it is really difficult acceptance and building awareness so that then you can move on. But it's actually easier if you do it as a group, because then I have you and me to support me and you have Petros and I to support you. And we can do this together. We can be aware of it and acknowledge it together. And then it's not so bad. It's all right. Because we, we kind of take a bit deep breath and go, right, <laughs> okay, at least we know. But we still have each other. Yeah. And, and the, the other aspect that struck me when you were telling uh, about uh, how, how they could think about, okay, what, what are the steps, the little steps forward that they could, could make? I think there already is a big difference in, in where most organizations have this kind of this perfect world. And now we all have to be this nine leadership examples, or we have this 12 organizational examples, and we all team up. But then how can you get, uh, because I can also see where that serves some kind of energy created towards the future. How is that element, if you choose like a little piece and you say, okay, from this piece, maybe we grow not to 100%, but we grow from 30 to 50%. How do you create the energy around it? Well, I've always found that the best way to create the energy around that is team coaching and individual coaching, but with a common kind of aim. So I'm doing this because we want to go here and these are the things that I need to work on. So where do I kind of sit on these theme axes? You know, because I was saying if a company has this kind of inbuilt fear of failure, then some people in the organization will hold it more so than other people. So if I kind of have high standards and if I'm somebody who's a perfectionist and always likes to get things right, if there's a fear of failure, I'm going to get it probably more so than you will, for example. Therefore, one-to-one coaching with that person to kind of understand what's his part of the fear of failure and what's the organization's part and what can he do about setting himself up to be successful in the areas that he's working on. So that's individual. And then team coaching, where you can just say at the end of the leadership team meeting, which maybe you're observing, how were you being? Where have you moved on since the last time you were around this table? So those are the small steps and doing that every month, that's going to make great progress in a year to move your culture on. I was thinking, Karen, about this idea of trying to understand maybe the root causes of certain manifestation of culture, right? And and maybe by simply uncovering that, making it explicit or understanding the root causes of why we operate in certain ways, that could in itself 
provide some shift uh, and some intentionality. But I, w- I was thinking what could be examples maybe of a part of, of root cause of a culture that we may not always think, right? Or uh, a way to having to get to the core of it. Uh, wh- what could be an example of that? Is there something that comes to your mind uh, from from your research or, or a practice where you felt, well, this is not so easily thought of or maybe clear and expressed, but by going through such a process, we recognize that there is something in the DNA of the culture as a root cause that makes it manifest in a certain way. In my research, I was working with a professional medical organization and I was looking at their culture and, well, obviously they were looking at it with me. So I was asking them, how are, how are you being? I was observing, how are they being? Board level, leadership teams, etc. One of the themes that came out of it, which actually took me quite a long time to get a handle on, but was effectively eventually titled surviving a stressful reality with aggressive passivity. So they were surviving, it was really stressful, their reality, and they were being hugely aggressive, passive aggressive. So I was picking up all of this data that was coming from them and being in their organization about how they were being this way. So I didn't understand it. I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. But when I did the feedback, to the leadership team and said, here's the 12 themes that I've got. And this particular one, they were quite aggressive with me as a result of sharing it, which perhaps shouldn't have been surprising. Um, But I kind of was quite careful to make sure the relationship was intact and that I could take on board that aggressiveness and not really react or be angry or anything, just sit with it and level it. So anyway, later on, uh, obviously, then I got the themes and I did the feedback and then I was doing the analysis for my doctoral work. And it then started to occur to me that one of the reasons why this theme of culture was in the organization was very, very likely to do with their task. So if they are operating, applying medical practice on individuals who are needing us, but perhaps it doesn't come out right. So they give medication or they do something that causes a problem with the or with the individual, then death could result. And that's got a huge amount of guilt attached to it. If I kill you, I'm going to be incredibly guilty. So that guilt needs to be sitting somewhere. And where does that guilt go if one of the professional organisations members has to hold that. What do they do with that? Because if they kept holding it, they wouldn't still be able to do what they do on a professional everyday basis. Eventually, I worked out that the organization has to hold it. So this guilt being in the organization was one of the reasons why the cultural theme was coming through all the time. So it's really stressful to sit with massive guilt. And if I'm surviving, so I'm a survivor, but yet the other person isn't. A survivor. If you imagine when you do work on somebody's body, it's actually quite an aggressive act and you have to do it in a very passive and exact way. So there's task. I think, well, I know task is always related to culture and it was really important. I think that if I'd done that with the organization at the time, they would have got to that understanding quicker than me. 
but it was research, so I couldn't have that dialogue and say, where do you think this is going, which is what we would do if we were in an organization. It is a very powerful example, Karen, also because of the the level of impact and seriousness that, that it involves, right? It also made me think, as you say, if if that's at the core, it means that for very good reasons, there is a certain expression of behavior and feeling. But if it's not truly to the awareness of the organization of, of us, we might not be able to organize a good approach space uh, to process something very impactful as, as you describe. And this is, this is also an extreme example because of the nature of the organization. But I could imagine that a different degree of these types of feelings may exist when we have to do with impact that, that we may have or risks that we take, uh, whether that's performance risks or impact to society or other organizations might face similar aspects of that. So, for example, the fear of failure thing was found in a company that makes aerospace components. So you can imagine if it fails, plane fails. Yeah. So I think in these examples, there is some sort of problem statement of the culture that describes what we should be shifting away from. Uh, But if we don't understand what's underneath that, then even that might create even worse pressure uh, if if we don't understand why there is a certain expression of behavior. So what, what are we avoiding and, and why uh, by this type of cultural behavior? I, I think that's exactly right, because then the wrong thing gets gone after, if you like. So if the fear of failure is being held by me because I have high standards and I'm a perfectionist, then perhaps they get rid of me because that will get rid of the problem. That will be a failure of me, not of the company. That's an option for the organization to deal with that. And it's not going to help. Because that fear of failure is innate in the culture of the organization. Then they should be dealing with it themselves and saying, so how do we make ourselves more able to succeed? How do we build our internal capacity to be better than we think we even can be? And there might be a number of reasons why the culture ended up, for example, not having a space to talk about these aspects or... Uh, there might be another reasons why the culture ended up um, only showing up in a successful manner or talking about successes, not being able to, for example, learn from not having successes or even from mistakes or failures. There might be very good reasons why that exists. But you're saying when you identify this gap, you have to find a way to basically bridge it uh, with, with certain solutions. Yeah, and it may need to be there. This organization will always need to hold the guilt. It will all, that's its job. It will always need to hold that guilt because that guilt will never go away. But what it needs to be is conscious and aware that that's what it's doing and maybe set up some other processes to more productively manage that guilt. So, for example, creating partnered mentor system with people who are maybe having to hold the guilt because it's happened to them with more experienced professionals. What's a process for debriefing that, maybe set up supervision groups, which is not that much done in the medical sphere, but it should be. So, you know, these practical items that come out of, there's a flipping good reason for this cultural item being in the organization. So you're not going to get rid of it. It's always going to be there. It's about how you want to handle it. So that's actually another approach to, to the change that you give now, to really focus on, yeah, on working on these, these task-related pieces of the culture. 
yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and even for the organization that was feeling a, a bit defeated or beaten, their role is to hold some of that on behalf of the members that they served because they're winning and losing day in, day out. It's a professional sport association. And so people are winning and losing day in, day out. And, you know, they have to be part of that winning and losing. But let's work out how we can stay strong and win win well and be beaten well. So we've got to share it in some way because that's our task to be there. And when we're anxious or or feeling sensitive or having some kind of nervousness about where we're at, where we're at, then talk about it because big, tough people who play sports and don't want to be seen to be weak are probably less likely to talk about things. So maybe we should just talk about it if we're anxious. The organisational task is really important here. And their task is to look after the competition. So people win and lose day in, day out. Their task is to look after the competition. And that means looking after the people that do it, the organisations that are within it, the context in which it happens. And looking after it has a lot of expression around caring about, being careful with, lots of care involved in that process. And that's the thing which they need to sort of move a little bit more towards in terms of their culture. And they could feel that by the end of the process. It was a question of, oh, yeah, we got this. We can see where we just need to dial up the humanness of this impact, looking after. Because, yeah, they're nearly like superhuman because they're top athletes. They're top professionals of their game. So, you know, why would you need to be kind of normal human? (laughs) These examples that you bring are also so sensitive to address, right? Because they are, in a way, what makes up an organization and what makes the strength of an organization is those traits. So if you touch them, maybe in ways that are not understood or that they're overly sensitive, it's like hitting a very painful spot. And that's when... I think you trigger some of the of the protective behaviors that we spoke about, the defensiveness, uh, also what Varden spoke about, that people want to only associate with the future statement rather than that. You know, we deny aspects that we don't want to be characterized with. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. Maybe it's helpful if I just summarize some of the learnings that I got from uh, from this conversation and to bring them in. For me, the first kind of the first learning was yeah, the shift from the way we do things around here to we're more the, the way we are being around here. That you really step down and say, okay, yeah, what is driving this doing, and what is the being part of that? And um, what also struck me was the importance of acknowledgement that this is how we are being, and to understand that that it that it's that without being having the blame or without being part of the problem, but understanding that this is the part of the, of, of the being that we are. And I like the discussion that we had there at the last part where we said, okay, it is being is probably also closely related to the, the primary task of a team or the primary task of an organization. And by connecting, I think, these thoughts, it also makes it more bearable for an organization to understand why they do what they do and why they feel what they do. Lastly, what I really, uh, really for me is an eye opener is this working on small steps. So not the creation of this perfect world and then basically create this basically impossibility of change, 
Uh, but making small steps, looking at, okay, so if this is our being and this is maybe the root cause of our being, then what are small steps that we can take? How can we talk about it? How can we build maybe a next level of understanding on that? And how can we start changing our doing step by step? And then these small steps, they add on to a large, basically change. Is, is that correct, Karen, what, I, what I'm saying? Can you recognize it? Totally, totally correct. I'm glad that you've picked it up clearly. And that we've managed to talk about it in a way, because as Petros said, it's not that easy to kind of get at and understand, but yet we have. So we've managed to come to that understanding. So it just shows that it's feasible with an organization, um, but it just takes a little bit of time to kind of get to the, the root of the being. I would probably add in there um, the way we're being and the way we're feeling put that in in that very first thing that you said it is all about the way we're being and the way we're feeling because that's how you get a lot more data thank you thank you karen and maybe uh, before we close we have a question that we ask maybe i think all our guests and so if if you're your consultant working focus on culture in your case so what would be your wish for leaders in the organization for the coming time that they would become more aware of the potential productivity benefit in relation to primary task that is available and achievable through attention to culture. And I don't think that awareness exists. I think leadership teams are a little bit scared of culture because it's so hard to grab hold of. Yet, if they could understand that it's feasible and able to be got at by discussion in a way which will have small steps to making big alterations, then I think they wouldn't be that worried. Thank you, Karen, for being our guest uh, today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Petros. Hope to hear and see you all in, in our next podcast. Thank you so much. Really good conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.